Welcome to The Scientist Speaks, a podcast produced by the Scientist Creative Services team. Our podcast is by scientists and for scientists. Once a month, we bring you the stories behind newsworthy molecular biology research. To regulate protein production, cells use sophisticated strategies to keep RNA levels in check. This balance is especially important for hormone production, particularly aldosterone, the master regulator of blood pressure. When this balance is disrupted, the risk for disorders including hypertension and cardiovascular disease increases. In this episode, Nikki Spach from the Scientist Creative Services team spoke with Nanan John Mukherjee, Assistant Professor of Biochemistry and Molecular Genetics at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus to learn more. Proteins born from mRNA transcripts are crucial for a cell's normal function. If protein levels become unbalanced, they stop doing their job effectively, leading to cellular dysregulation and disease. It is commonly thought that the amount of mRNA produced through transcription directly dictates how much protein a cell makes. Hygiene expression means more mRNA and therefore more protein, and vice versa. However, during an early research experience comparing high and low-grade gliomas, Nalanjan Mukherjee found that this simple dogma only scratched the surface of reality. We actually saw some of the genes that changed and tried to validate them with the protein levels. I was shocked to realize that the change in the RNA wasn't the same as the change in the protein. The reality is there's many, many steps involved between the production of the RNA and translation, and they're highly regulatable. There are proteins that can bind to these mRNAs and that dictate whether or not they actually get translated or not. If they get turned over or not, a single mRNA can be bound by many different proteins. You have to understand those combinatorial interactions, which proteins are on which RNAs at a given time and what that means for the final outcomes. Understanding that network is important so that we can figure out what are the really important regulatory interactions. We study how these networks respond to stimuli. Both the proteins and the RNAs are highly dynamic, and so these networks rearrange. And so you kind of perturb the system, figure out what's changing, what the implication of those changes are, and how those changes work at a mechanistic level. RNA binding proteins, or RBPs, regulate the ebb and flow of protein production within a cell. These proteins consist of a domain that binds RNA, often at regulatory elements in the 3' untranslated region, and a second domain that interfaces with cellular machinery that controls the RNA's fate. These interactions can directly promote or repress mRNA translation into protein, dictate how an RNA moves through the cell by connecting to the microtubular network, or guide interactions with molecules that regulate an RNA stability or decay. There are myriad RNA-binding proteins that have different roles within cells and interact with various proteins. So it is no surprise that when an RBP goes awry, disease can occur. The most well-known and studied are with respect to neurological disease. Fragile X is caused by the loss of these Fragile X proteins, which are RNA-binding proteins. It's a loss of function that leads to numerous kind of neuronal disease. 
Some of the most compelling examples are actually when you also lose a regulatory element in the messenger RNA. A classic example is tumor necrosis factor alpha, which is a potent cytokine. If mouse doesn't have the regulatory element in its non-coding 3' UTR, the immune response is through the roof. So you actually need that element to repress that response. It's about balance and not having too much of a good thing. That highlights that both the proteins and the RNA regulatory elements, they're both really critical. In his research, Mukherjee focuses on the regulation of RNA decay and its effect on translation. By controlling RNA stability and, ultimately, protein production, these RNA-binding proteins create temporal responses. For example, an unstable mRNA with a short lifespan will cause a brief but rapid response that quickly peaks and returns to baseline as protein production turns on and then off again. In the laboratory, Mukherjee uses various methods to look at this relationship between RNA-binding proteins and translation. One of those is ribosome profiling, where we can find the little footprints of RNAs under a ribosome, meaning these are the pieces that are being translated. There's a whole host of things that you can do with this information. The first is understand how well an RNA is being translated and if that's changing in one condition versus the next. For example, if you knock out or knock down an RNA binding protein or perturb its function in some way. It also allows you to discover pieces of the transcriptome that are being translated that you otherwise wouldn't have known. And this is really important in the context of human disease. There's also ways that we can measure decay by pulsing in modified nucleosides and tracking them over time. They're called metabolic labeling approaches. And that helps us measure decay rates directly to understand how those change. Using these techniques, Mukherjee studies how RNA-binding proteins and RNA decay contribute to aldosterone production. Aldosterone is a hormone produced from cholesterol and zona glomerulosa cells. These cells reside in the adrenal glands, which sit atop the kidneys. Binding of the angiotensin II hormone to its adrenal cell receptor stimulates aldosterone production, which then regulates blood pressure by controlling kidney salt excretion. Too much aldosterone causes hypertension, while too little has the opposite effect. These hormones are small, nonpolar molecules. There's no mechanism to store them in the cell, so they have to be made on demand every time the cell gets stimulated. If you make too little or too much, you're going to have serious issues with control of blood pressure. RNA decay and a number of RNA binding proteins are really crucial for having a proper response. They're actually fighting against each other. You can get rid of one of these proteins and you get too much. You get rid of another and you get too little. They're creating this balance between each other. To understand the role of RNA regulation in aldosterone production, Mukherjee sequenced the RNA from cells stimulated by angiotensin II. To see how gene expression related to steroid production changed, his team analyzed samples from multiple time points after stimulation. A few hours after receiving the stimulus, the expression of RNA-binding proteins and other factors that influenced transcription spiked. Later on, Mukherjee saw that this treatment upregulated both RNA encoding enzymes that directly regulate steroid hormone production and RNA decay factors that repress RNAs responsible for steroid production. Why would you do that? That's like you're wasting your energy, and the cell's like, I don't care about energy. If you increase transcription and decay, you create a pulse-like response. It goes up and it comes back down. 
It also does that in less amount of time, so it's a more dynamic response to the stimulations. There was a very delineated order of events, and setting up the new gene regulatory environment was the first step such that the hormones were being created in a way that there was a proper amount and with a proper time so that the response was robust to make sure that you made enough but protected against making too much. That hadn't really been worked out before, even though we've known so much about these hormones for so long. RNA decay was absolutely critical for determining the timing of the gene expression response. If you have a really high decay rate, then you basically have this super peaky response. If you have a really low decay rate, a really stable RNA, then you have a much broader response. And those decay rates are dictated by RNA binding proteins and regulatory elements in those 3' untranslated regions. We basically tied that together, found some of the regulatory elements and the RNA binding proteins that either promote or repress hormone production. Their follow-up studies are all about picking apart some of these individual RNA binding proteins, how they work, how they change during the time course. Resolving the responses that facilitate steroid production is critical, and RNA binding proteins and other decay factors play a large role in doing this properly. One of the decay factors that Mukherjee saw upregulated after angiotensin II stimulus was BTG2, a global RNA decay factor that doesn't bind RNAs directly, but rather promotes their destruction through deadenylation, which shortens RNAs' poly-A tails. When Mukherjee knocked down BTG2, he expected to see RNA repression on a global scale. Instead, only specific RNAs decayed, which revealed a new mystery for him and his team to unravel in future studies. Because cell culture cannot recapitulate the complexity of an entire organ, Mukherjee also explores aldosterone production in human adrenal tissue obtained from kidney donors. Using new spatial techniques, he viewed temporal gene expression patterns in cross-sections of the adrenal glands, which are composed of three distinct zones that produce different hormones. These spatial methods also allowed him to find clustered populations of aldosterone-producing cells, or APCCs, that no longer listen to cues from the body and instead overproduce aldosterone. This is a problem because that can lead to hypertension, high blood pressure, which affects a third of Americans. 10 to 20% of those, it's because of this autonomous aldosterone production. This happens normally with aging. It's been underrealized as a health problem because it's kind of difficult to diagnose, actually. One of our samples was someone in their 50s or 60s, and we actually saw some of these aldosterone-producing cell clusters. So now we have this really cool angle into characterizing and understanding how they lead to full-blown adenomas that pump out a lot of aldosterone. So it appears to be a progression, but we have no idea about the heterogeneity and the exact progression of this disease. The spatial transcriptomic approaches really allow us to go into uncharted territory because not only do we get to characterize the individual APCCs, but we can ask how similar or different are they to each other? How are they different between people? <laughs> you know, 
what leads to this sort of uncontrolled production of aldosterone. What I'm really excited about is the next step, which would be understanding local DNA mutations, overlaying that with a transcriptome to really understand the genetic and mechanistic basis for disease progression. As Mukherjee unravels the mysteries of aldosterone regulation, there will be a potential to develop new therapeutic interventions. For example, by using lipid nanoparticle carriers, scientists have shown that they can deliver RNA oligos to specific tissues and knock down gene expression. This holds promise for controlling hormone production directly in the adrenals. There's a number of specific RNAs that are critical for steroid hormone production that is almost exclusively in the adrenal gland. And what I dream about is identifying these fundamentally important protein RNA interactions. If we were able to block it, we could really toggle the ability of the cell to make more or less hormone. We're looking in cases where there's an overproduction of the hormone. And so this would give us an ability to modulate that and produce less hormone. Thank you for listening to The Scientist Speaks. This episode was produced by the Creative Services team for The Scientist and narrated by Nikki Spaich. Please join us for our next episode as we learn how scientists use blind mole rats as unconventional cancer research models. To keep up to date with this podcast, follow The Scientist on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.